0: Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're discussing the European Union's deal with Turkey. It's aimed at stemming the flow of refugees into the European Union. But can it work? Joining me on the line to discuss that from Brussels is Alex Barker, our European diplomatic editor, and in the studio here in London is our Europe editor Tony Barber. Alex, first, tell us the outlines of this deal and what the chances of its implementation are.
1: Europe and the EU have been reaching for a kind of Big Bang solution to the migration crisis for months, and they've tried various avenues and and come unstuck. And this was really the most ambitious and explosive idea they've coalesced around yet. And it was... negotiation that went into the night a summit with Turkey and really they were by the end of it being asked to believe six impossible things before breakfast in a way and the simple idea is that irregular migration people in boats coming across from Turkey to Greek islands will be cut stone dead by saying all of the people that land on the islands will be returned to Turkey and as a gift to Turkey and as an incentive for people not to get on the boats, resettlement will be conducted from Turkey into Europe directly to give people a legal path for asylum. Of course, that was then supplemented with various other political and financial gifts for Turkey to um, give them the incentive for taking back all these refugees. That included potentially up to three billion of extra funding in the next few years visa liberalisation as soon as June, which would allow 80 million Turks visa-free travel across the Schengen area in Europe, and some other political promises potentially around speeding up membership talks and things like that.
0: So, Tony, I mean, Alex said that they were asked to believe several impossible things before breakfast, and it does seem as if the EU, just taking the promises that the EU has made to Turkey particularly this visa-free access, which is liable to be pretty controversial in Europe. It doesn't seem to me like this is something that's going to be remotely nailed down.
2: There are very, very uh, deep divisions on the question of giving visa-free travel to Turks in the Schengen area. There are very, very deep divisions also on whether Turkey should ever join the European Union. These in themselves are enough to put very big question marks over the prospects of this deal ever being implemented. There are also very serious questions of international law surrounding the deal. The EU is a signatory to international conventions on the treatment of refugees. And actually, even in its own founding treaty, it's committed to proper treatment of refugees, and I suspect it to be very likely that the legal validity of this deal would be questioned by various organisations.
0: Although I guess by the time that happens, maybe they're gambling that, you know, OK, the European Court of Justice might say in a couple of years, well, you can't do this, but it's been done and the crisis has passed. That must be part of the calculation.
2: Well, if it is, then it does seem rather strange that they would proceed with a deal like this in the belief that it would fall apart before it ever went to the courts. But you may well be right.
0: And Alex, of course, one mustn't forget that behind all this is a continuing humanitarian crisis. And as far as I can tell, the refugees getting on the boats in Turkey and trying to head for Greek islands have not suddenly decided, well, we're not going to anymore because there's been a deal struck in Brussels. And how bad are the conditions in Greece as this builds up?
1: It's a grim backdrop, we have roughly 35,000 asylum seekers in Greece at the moment, spread between the islands and the mainland in some pretty rudimentary conditions. Some people we were speaking to on the ground, aid workers, veterans of various places, someone who had worked in Sudan, said that some of the conditions were the worst he'd ever seen in a camp. And this is in Europe, in the EU. Brussels is now putting together an emergency package of the kind that does go to war zones to help Greece cope with this. But there are 35,000 people, probably at the end of this week, closer to 50,000, that the EU will have to decide what to do with. And months ago, it agreed a system to try and redistribute refugees around Europe. But so far, they've only managed about 600 of these. And um, they're going to have to make that work pretty fast. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at a situation where for many, many months, we're going to have big refugee camps in Greece.
0: And that's partly, Tony, isn't it? Because the Balkan route up to Germany is effectively closed now?
2: If it's not completely closed, then certainly a very significant deterrence and physical obstacles have been put up to prevent movement on the scale that happened last year. So, yes, it's had the effect of bottling up more and more refugees in Greece itself. I mean, let's not forget that one of the purposes behind this rather unsavoury looking deal with Turkey was to try and crack down and eliminate the human smuggling operations, many of which are based on Turkey's western coast. And the idea was that if you found a way to provide an organized legal avenue for refugees to be moved from camps in Turkey to the EU, then you would cut out the intermediaries, the human smuggling networks. That in principle is not a bad idea because according to Europol, the EU's international police agency, the smuggling operations around the Mediterranean and Turkey and one or two other places on the EU's borders operate to the tune of about three to six billion euros a year. There's an awful lot of money in this. And it definitely is worth cracking down on that if possible.
0: Yeah. But Alex, do you think that related to that, the EU can put its trust in Turkey to keep its side of the bargain? Because one of the difficulties for the European Union amongst many is that Turkey at the moment looks like a very unattractive negotiating partner. President Erdogan seems to be kind of eroding Turkish democracy almost by the day. Are they people that the EU can really do business with?
1: Well, certainly, we've been rocking back on some old stereotypes in Brussels of Europe being fleeced by these cunning carpet salesmen from Ankara and Istanbul. And the political reaction on the right of politics in France and Germany, even in Belgium here, has been really vitriolic about this. And there is a sense in some circles that the tap has always been under the control of regime type Erdogan, the Turkish president, that they've been using the migration crisis as leverage to extract all the things that they were unable to get from Europe over the past decade. But there is an alternative view of this, which is that actually Turkey has not been securing as much as people imagine. It's not really had very much money at all from Europe so far and has been spending a lot of its own resources on supporting two and a half million refugees in Turkey. That's more than double those that are inside Europe at the moment. Its chapters in terms of the membership negotiation are still very much frozen. The visa liberalisation, I would say the prospects of Europe delivering that Are pretty slim. I mean, the politics around it is toxic. There's lots of countries that are willing to say, oh, you know, tell them anything, we'll give it to them in June, and thinking that, you know, if they can make migration stop, then, you know, they'll fudge that and not give it to them in the end. So I think it's a bit more nuanced than that image of Erdogan blackmailing the EU.
0: Absolutely. I mean, could one argue that on the contrary, if anyone's being naive, it's the Turks, because they've been offered. Stuff that, frankly, it seems very unlikely ever to be delivered. As you say, the visa liberalisation in particular, but also accelerated progress towards membership of the EU. I mean, that's almost never going to happen, is it?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, there's some very big nuts to crack inside visa liberalisation and the membership acceleration is the question of Cyprus and the divided island and Turkey's unwillingness to recognise the administration in Nicosia has held back relations for more than a decade and that needs to be sold for visas to go forward and for the membership talk to really progress in any significant way. And that will be next week in the context of migration and everything else. I mean, it's a huge set of political challenges.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, trying to step back a little bit then, Tony, obviously, Angela Merkel and the other European leaders wanted to come out of this summit saying, okay, we've had an incredibly difficult crisis, but we've now got the beginning of the end. We've got a workable deal. From everything we've been saying, it doesn't sound like the three of us think it's going to work. So how do you see the crisis unfolding over the next six months to a year?
2: It's going to be driven, I think, as it has been for the last year, by very intense political pressures within each EU country. And this is going to make it very, very difficult to form a more constructive common position because the politics in the larger EU countries and some of the medium-sized ones in Central Europe closer to the Balkans route, the politics in these countries are extremely toxic. One of the reasons Angela Merkel was so keen to be able to show that some sort of deal with Turkey had been reached in the last few days, was that her Christian Democratic Party faces three state elections in Germany on Sunday. But she's rather glossed over the point that her own party, the CDU, opposes Turkish membership in the EU. Therefore, for her to approve a deal that implicitly shows a path towards membership seems something of a contradiction. So, no, I mean, I think the picture looks set to remain extremely politically fraught and very, very awkward from a humanitarian point of view. Perhaps the lull in fighting in Syria and the way that has lowered the number of people streaming out may ease their pressure a little bit. But I think here one has to keep in mind that the number of Syrians as a total of the whole flow of refugees is somewhere slightly below half and you have such enormous migratory pressures from other directions not least parts of sub-Saharan Africa where there are no wars or civil conflicts going on that it'd be very easy to imagine a situation in which even if the deal with Turkey was partly or more than partly workable it would simply create problems elsewhere along the EU's southern borders.
0: Alex, some final thoughts from you. I mean, if you don't think that this deal in its current form is the silver bullet for the crisis, how do you see it unfolding over the next six months?
1: All European leaders just want this crisis to stop, but they have completely different views on how it should be done and what they're willing to sacrifice because of their different domestic circumstances. And so for a lot of the Balkan leaders, for Austria, walls is the answer. For Angela Merkel, she wants more than that. She wants to address the Turkish question in a way that offers a sustainable legal path into Europe. And what worries me is, in the kind of muddling through, we've raised expectations sky-high in Turkey, and if the practical side of that falls short if this deal doesn't come together, it will really damage relations with a vital neighbour for a very long time, even beyond the crisis we have at the moment. You know, one was talking at various stages of, well, you know, if we want, we'll just put people on buses, and you could really see this turning quite ugly if they misjudge what is deliverable and what the realistic terms are for any kind of serious deal on this.
0: So, to conclude, you're suggesting that we may not solve the refugee crisis, but we could create a crisis in European Union Turkish relations. So, cheerful thought to end on. Alex Barker in Brussels, thank you very much indeed. Thanks also to Tony Barber here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. And-
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get
0: to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources